Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your people. I ask you to bless them, encourage them. I thank you in advance for being with them today and tomorrow and forever. I ask as I speak to them that you will open up their hearts and minds as you have done to Lydia when Paul was preaching the gospel to her. I pray that we all will surrender ourselves to you. That we will exalt you with our minds and bodies and souls. I give... I dedicate this service to you, and I ask you to bless it. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember uh, years back when my wife and I realized that we were not able to conceive, uh, to bear children, that bothered Crystal, also bothered me as well. Well, not Crystal. Uh, let me start over. <laughs> I realized that it bothered her. Um, as I wanted to encourage her, she was very depressed about this news that she received. I asked her, am I not worth ten children to you? That didn't do the job. But um, it was one person that received the news as well. And every time that she was around this individual, this individual will, would provoke her and irritate her and agitate her to the point where it, it made her cry, made her upset. Was, and as time went on, I remember that she prayed to the Lord for a child. The story that I tried to share with you in a narrative form is not really my story, as you can uh, be aware of that. It's Hannah's story. Uh, you can find this particular story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and if you can open your Bible, you can turn there as well. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, and we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. The story of Hannah, as I try to convey to you, is that she was deeply depressed of not having a child. Her husband, Elkanah, 
ask a simple question to try to console her by asking her, am I not worth ten sons to you? That was, a, that was an expression of that particular day. So Hannah got up and she left and she went to the temple to pray. You will find her prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. In verse 10, scripture recorded how deeply depressed Hannah was. Scripture says, Hannah was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. I don't think the English translations of the Bible really capture how she felt at that particular moment. Because the Hebrew language kind of conveyed the ideal that when she was deeply depressed or deeply distressed and wept bitterly means that she was weeping bitterly that it troubled her very own soul. It bothered her. Let me give you an example, like if you are a parent, and I believe that you are. Let's say, for example, if you lost your very own child. Your child was up, uh, went missing for a couple of months. You will be bothered. Your soul will be troubled. You would not be able to sleep, eat, nor drink. That's how the Hebrew language conveys how deeply depressed Hannah was. So you get the ideal that when she went to the temple, as you can see there in verse uh, 10, she wept. This weeping was just not a shedding of few tears. It was a deep anguish that she had in her heart. So it was more than just weeping, more than just shedding a few tears. She was weeping as if she had lost her child. But she didn't have a child of her own. In fact, Scripture gives the impression that she prayed and she wept bitterly that the priest Eli, a couple of verses down from those two verses, thought that she was a woman who drank too much wine. A person who drinks a lot, they just talk outside of their nets. <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. That is the impression that Eli received from Hannah as she was praying to the Lord. But I, I think this emotion of Hannah is fitting for any woman who struggles or struggled with infertility. The reality of infertility burdens women to, with guilt leaves women with feeling inadequate or incomplete. Although I fail with my narrative story as an introduction to this sermon, Crystal and I can relate to Hannah. 
We feel as if our family is not complete because we don't have children of our own. So I understand what Hannah went through. We desire to have children, but God has not granted that request of ours. We have brothers and sisters who are praying for us daily, petitioning God on our behalf. In Hannah's time, women who were barren felt worthless and did not receive an inheritance for anything. Because it was upon their children that they received financial support. The sons were the ones who carry on their father's estate. Uh, For example, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the story of Ruth. How Ruth describes to us that her mother-in-law, Naomi, lost her two sons. So Naomi had to travel back to her home country so that she can try to well, be redeemed by her relatives. And that was assisted by Ruth. Naomi lost everything because her two sons died. She didn't have financial support. However, a, woman, a woman's prestige was based at least partly on her demonstrative or demonstrative ability to produce offspring. It was a situation such a situation that Penina, uh, Hannah's rival, the second wife of Hannah's husband, teased Hannah, provoked Hannah. Because Hannah's rival knew that she could bear children. Knew that she always had financial support from her kids, but not Hannah. And not only that, Hannah used that knowledge against, I mean, Apanina used that knowledge against Hannah. Our scripture highlight that it was ultimately the Lord who closed the womb of Hannah. But why? Ask ask yourself this question. Is it a possibility that God used Hannah's childlessness to help her focus on him instead of what she desired most in life? Does God act the same way in our lives? Ask yourself this question, does not only he act the same way in our lives, but does he use this, or whatever we desire the most, to bring us closer to him? For example, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 10. This is a good parallel between Hannah's story and Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 12. 
chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. This is a story when Paul asked and pleaded with God to remove this thorn from his flesh. We don't know what the thorn was. Could have been a toothache for all we know. Starting in verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited, becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You turn back to First Samuel. This is, I get the ideal that when Hannah arrived at the temple, she realized and understood that it is God who is the ultimate cause of her barrenness. So her prayer is an indication that she is not only weak, but she's depending upon the Lord God. Hannah found her self-worth in God. In today's time, we place our self-worth not, in our, not only in our jobs, our abilities, comforts, spouse, and kids. We believe these things defines us. But take notice in Hannah's prayer, she recognized that her self Worth was not in her husband who asked that question, am I not worth ten sons to you? Even so, not in her own son that she gave birth to eventually. But she found herself worth in the Lord. Anna's barrenness was used to help her understand that any fulfillment and any joy comes from God. That God is the source of all that she sought. Not only that, he is the source of all that we seek in life. You know, if we ask... We understand that Hannah was asking for a son. She was crying, pleading to the Lord, Lord, please just give me a baby. Give me a son. I wonder, when God refrained things from us, like material wealth and family enjoyments, What would be our posture towards God? Perhaps God, you may be 
asking God in prayer to give you something. But the very thing that he's refraining to give you is the very thing that he's using to bring you closer. God does not allow us to have something because he wants us to understand that our desires should only be founded in him. Look at verse 2. In Hannah's prayer, she said, not verse 2, excuse me. Uh, Look at uh, verse 11. In Hannah's prayer, she said, O Lord of hosts. And she said, vow a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. But you will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his That is Hannah's prayer. So we come to the scripture. And there's three things that we're going to focus on very quickly. The first thing that we're going to focus on is Hannah's vow. That she made a vow to the Lord. The second thing that we will focus on within Hannah's prayer is Hannah asking for recognition. She asked the Lord to remember her. Lastly, the very last thing that we will focus on is Hannah's offering. Hannah's offering. You know what? I can. When Hannah went to the temple, I can just imagine her going there. And crying out. She made a vow unto the Lord from God's, and from God's perspective, vowing unto Him is viewed as a legal binding contract. That He has an expectation for you to fulfill your vow that you made unto Him. Therefore, the Lord takes vows seriously. But notice how Hannah, in Hannah's vow, that she made a vow not only for herself, but also on the behalf of her son, her future son. This vow is, you know, let me liken that to you making a vow for your child. You're telling him or her that he or she is going to serve in the church forever. They don't have any choice in what they're going to do. This is what type of vow that Hannah made. When Hannah made this particular vow, a promise to God, that changed the course of her son's life forever. Her son did not have a choice in what he wanted to do. Samuel's choice was made by his mother, Hannah. 
Now, this particular vow that Hannah made was a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow entails that a person should separate himself or consecrate himself for the service of God, to serve in the temple of God for X amount of years. Typically, a person who was a Levite was served from the age of 25 until they were the age of 50. But the difference between this particular vow that Hannah made is that despite how old Samuel was, he was always going to be in the temple of God, serving diligently there. He was bound to a lifelong service. Hannah's vow committed her son to for committed her son to the service of the temple for all the days of his life, which means that person, he was set apart for a special service. He could not drink wine or any strong beverages. Now, when it comes to us, when you pray, I do not recommend that you make vows to God. Um, I highly recommend that you don't do it. If you turn over to Judges chapter 11, verse 29 through 40, you can scheme over the passages, I mean, all these verses. I'm not going to read the entire uh, passage because I just want you to get the idea. Uh, This is a story about Jephthah's vow that he made unto God. He vowed to the Lord and said, If you would give the Ammonites into my hand, Judges chapter 11, verse 29 through 40. Uh, He vowed to the Lord and said, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So, As you continue to skim through these verses, you would notice how tragic Jephthah's vow was. Because who came out of his house? His daughter. His daughter came out of his house. He made a vow that he did not want to commit to. Nor he also he made a vow that bound his daughter to. So I want you to look at verses thirty-nine and forty. Actually, look at uh, thirty-seven through forty. It says. So she said to her father, "Let this thing be done for me." Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed 
She and her companions and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that she had made. She had never known a man and became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to limit the, to the daughter of Jephthah, the Geladite, four days in the year. So, Akron Alliance Fellowship, when you are praying, let your yes be yes and your no's be no. Do not make a tragic vow as he has done. This is what our Lord has said, is it not? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes evil or comes from evil. Turn back to 1 Samuel. So we see within the text that she made a vow. And we know from the book of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that she kept her vow. That when it was time for Samuel to go to the temple and serve for all the days of his life, she gave Samuel back to the Lord as she has promised. Within prayer, are we doing that? Are we offering the very thing that we want most back to God? Do we have that posture to ask what we desire from God because he's willing to give it to us, but at the same time to give it right back to him? If we look at it from Hannah's perspective, this was only momentary, only for a season. She wanted to be fulfilled as as being a mother to a son. She wanted that desire to be fulfilled. But that very same desire she gave back to the Lord. Do we have that posture in prayer? So let's talk about Hannah's recognition and we can continue to talk about Hannah's offering. I want you to use your imagination. Think about what Hannah had to endure in her household. Hannah had to share everything with her, with the rival wife of her husband's uh, wife, Penina. Think about Hannah's uh, home. Take yourself there. They're sitting around the dinner table. Hannah can hear children playing in the background, running around the dinner table, laughing, having a good time. And her rival acknowledged that, 
start provoking her and irritating her. Whatever she said, it wasn't godly. How would you think Hannah felt? She would feel isolated. Isolated from uh, her own family. She feels as if she has no place in this household. So she get up and leave, not willing to eat nor drink, but for the sake of her husband, she ate something and went to the temple. Now she's at the temple praying. And she asked the Lord to remember your servant or to remember the affliction of your servant. I find this to be very interesting because you have a sovereign God, an omniscient God who knows everything, but when Hannah prayed, She's asking him to remember little old me. But also take notice that she's not asking for a vengeance. She's not praying to God, God, once you strike this evil woman, she's not doing that. So she has a posture of humility. I know Pitipi... <laughs> I know people in my family will be quick to say that, to have ill intent. When they say, I pray for you, you know what they mean. But not Hannah. I see in in the meaning of Hannah, her name itself means grace. So I could see her in the temple graciously praying to the Lord, crying and weeping, and asking the Lord to remember her afflictions. Lord, remember my sorrows. And the Lord did. Because she understood that the, that the Lord was the ultimate reason that she couldn't bear children. So she took her complaint to the Lord. Lord, if you're not opening up my womb, at least see my afflictions. Look at my grief. I think it's notable to say that the Lord indeed allowed her to bear children. Not only Samuel, if you turn over to 2 First uh, Sam, uh, Samuel chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-one. You will see that she bore many children. It says in First Samuel chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-one. Then Eli. This is after that. This is after the point that Hannah gave Samuel to the service of the Lord. It says then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Anna and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man, Samuel, 
grew in the presence of the Lord. So how many children she had in total? No, six. <laughs> but the point is, she bore many kids. When you're praying, it may be a time, <laughs> it may be a time where you feel as if your prayer has not been answered. And that may be a long period of time, an extended time. But sooner or later, maybe later, that the Lord will answer your prayer. Let's talk about her son very quickly. Who is her son? Samuel. Samuel. Her son Samuel was a judge. He was a priest. And he was a prophet. He played a major role in the kingdom of Israel. He inaugurated Saul, the first king of Israel, and the second king of Israel, David. A major role. But very quickly... I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. And this is paralleling my thoughts to, the, to Samuel, who was a prophet. It says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He would give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. What's interesting about this is that it's messianic. It's talking about the Messiah. Anointed in Hebrew means Messiah. This is a praise from Hannah. And she is praising God in that verse 10, she identifies the Messiah himself within her praise. And this is, and Samuel himself had a role in that. Because the Davidic kingdom ultimately goes to our Lord. Now going back to Hannah's offering, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 11. What Hannah desired most in life was his son, but she was willing to offer her son back to the Lord. The very thing that she treasured in life was offered sacrificially. Think about Hannah's posture. Think about what she's asking. It's similar to Abraham. When he desired a son to carry on his name. And the Lord asked Abraham to offer his son upon an altar. The very thing that he wanted most from the Lord. 
personally, let's personalize this for us. When you are praying, I don't think we should have a posture of saying, gimme, gimme, give it to me, Lord. It's good to ask, but not only have that posture, because I believe he will give it to you, but have a posture of saying, Lord, whatever you give to me, it is yours. All that I have is yours. My money, my job, my kids, my life is yours. That's the posture we should also have in our prayers. Our spouse, grandkids, it is yours. It is not mine's. I think to end this sermon, the best illustration that I can give you is the Lord himself. Turn to John chapter 17, verse 11. John 17, verse, I'm at John chapter 17, verse 11. This is the Lord's high priestly prayer. And it's very striking to me that parallel to Hannah's prayer of what he is asking God the Father to do on the behalf of his disciples and ultimately for us. In John chapter 17, verse 11, it says, as we start in uh, nine, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Take notice what the Lord said. He said, keep them. It was an exchange. It belonged, we belong to the Lord God the Father. The Lord Jesus stepped off his throne Enter the sin-filled world, die for our sins, so that he can ransom everyone unto himself. Now he's asking the Lord, God the Father, that could please keep them. Those who I have died for, they are yours. I commit them to that to you, Lord. find that striking. Similar to Hannah. What was not hers, she asked for and God gave it to to her. And she offered it right back to him. And the same thing for God. 
So, how would I like to end this sermon? It's to ask Roscoe and Mel uh, to grab a mic. I will hand it to you guys. But I want us to pray. We have a lot to pray for. If you're feeling led to pray, I ask you to do it. And this is the reason why I'm cutting this sermon short. I encourage you to pray corporately. Praying corporately is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that in the book of Acts? So Mel will be on my left side. Roscoe will be on my right side. And if you stand up, they will hand you the mic and you will pray.